And welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is David Deal. I'm Lance Meadow. Glad to have you aboard with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. As always, Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience. Courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Well, it's nice to have you. It is. I, Dave, I feel like we haven't done one of these shows in quite some time. Yeah, I, I don't think it was back to last season was the last time that <laughs> I we think did you're a show right. together. Yeah. So it's good to see you as always, Lance. You know, uh, obviously a lot to talk about uh, for this Sunday game with the Arizona Cardinals coming in town. Indeed, and I do want to get into greater detail with you on the Arizona Cardinals. But, Dave, let's start with the injury report. Okay. So the Giants' latest let's injury report is the following. Full practice today for Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, Wayne Goldman, and Olsen Pierre. Limited Sterling Shepard and did not practice Corey Ballantyne. He's in concussion protocol. Saquon's actually talking to the media as we speak, and he just said, quote, I feel good, still taking it day by day. He doesn't feel pain when he is running and cutting, according to what he told the media. So it seems as if all yeah. signs, Dave, are pointing in the right direction, specifically for Saquon Barkley as well as Evan Ingram. It definitely does, and that's a huge component for this second-half push for this football team, especially with Daniel Jones basically playing throughout his starting career as the quarterback of the New York Giants without Saquon Barkley. I mean, figure it was only a quarter, and at that point you knew that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were loading up the box and saying, we're not letting Saquon Barkley beat us, just like they did the week before up against Christian McCaffrey. So it's an exciting sign to have Saquon out there, full participation. Evan Ingram, which we know the Arizona Cardinals have struggled covering opposing tight ends. And to have Wayne Gallman back is a huge addition for this football roster moving forward. And like I said, to make a push and get that cohesion of what this offense can truly be. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the tight end struggles. These numbers, boy, do they jump off the page. Yes, they do. Austin Hooper in the game on Sunday when the Cardinals played the Falcons had eight catches over 100 yards and a touchdown. Will Disley, before he got hurt when he was playing for the Seahawks, he had a monster game against the Arizona Cardinals. So if I'm Evan Ingram, I'm licking my chops right now saying this is a very attractive matchup for me to be getting back out on the field for. No question, but the one thing that you know that the Arizona Cardinals defense are excited about is getting back Patrick Peterson. He's going to be back in the fold. I think that he's going to play the full game because they need him out there. And what that is going to allow their defense and their secondary to do, they've been relying on Byron Murphy, their second-round pick out of Washington, and Tremaine Brock, the crafty veteran, to try to do things to diversify the type of coverage that they were playing But they couldn't cover everybody, and that's what led to the big plays by the tight ends down the seams and through those crossing routes. So now they truly feel that with Patrick Peterson back, they can shadow the opposing team's number one receiver and then do different things to play to the strengths of Murphy, who's played well as a rookie but has been targeted at times, which you expect, and Tremaine Brock, who you have to say has lost a step throughout his career. Well, and Brock, they tended to move into the slot, Dave. So now you can keep Brock in the slot now that you have Peterson on the outside. But to your point, Peterson gives them a tremendous amount of flexibility. Yes, he does. if you're Vance Joseph, you could say, hey, find the best wide receiver, put Peterson on him, and then the rest of the group can worry about the rest of the personnel. And with Sterling Shepard likely sidelined, I would think, Dave, and correct me if I'm wrong, Golden they're probably going to put yeah. Peterson on Golden Tate under the circumstances. Which this is a battle that we've seen before when Golden Tate was in Seattle playing in up against, in the NFC yeah. West, playing up against him. So you know that they're going to do that. And that's what's something that 
for you as an offense after you get through that first series, and if he is shadowing, it's actually an advantage for you offensively because then now you can do things with the scheme that you're trying to run to create weaknesses in that defense based upon where you're moving Patrick Peterson on the field. And a lot of times one thing that you can do is to change things up Start moving that number one receiver like we know that Golden Tate can play in the slot because then it opens up those big shots downfield that you want. Well, and it'll be interesting because Peterson tends to play on the outside. Yeah, so yeah. it's highly unlikely, Dave, if they do move Golden Tate into the slot that they would move perhaps Peterson. That's exactly what I mean. So that's going to give you opportunities yeah. to throw the football downfield. And the big thing that we know for this Giants offense they have to control the time of possession, and the big thing that they have to do is they've got to make sure that they're in third and manageables so they don't let their outside pass rushers who, like Suggs and like everybody else, can get after the quarterback if they have that type of coverage and it's a third and long. Yeah, and I almost feel as if this Arizona defense is somewhat overlooked because I do of too. some of the personnel they've lost, Dave. But you know, as you just hit on, when you look at the personnel that they have specifically in their front seven, Chandler Jones, you know, going back to his days with the Patriots, yep. yeah, he's been extremely active. He leads the team with four and a half sacks, also tied for first with three forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries. So it's not as if he's had one game where he's flashed. He's been very active. You brought up Terrell Suggs. He's got four sacks, even though he's getting up there in age. This is his 17th season in the league. Hassan Reddick is a young player. The guy that the I Temple really guy, like. Yeah, and they like to use him. He's almost like a jack-of-all-trades because of the way that they use him. He'll be on blitz packages. They'll have him almost as like that fifth-down lineman, and they'll run stunts and picks with him blitzing off of it as well. Well, and he also has four passes defensed, yeah. so yep. that just goes to show you what you're talking about with his versatility maybe if they drop him back. But the guy to me that's really key for them is Jordan Hicks, who yes. they brought over from the Eagles you know, to help set the middle of the defense, and that's why Peterson's return Dave is so key because you had Hicks in the middle now you got Peterson to handle the back end you got your two veteran leaders who are very vocal back in the mix and I think that's something that could very well change the dynamics of this Arizona defense and when you bring those type of vocal leaders back out on to the football field especially like Patrick Peterson all it takes is that one little split second extra in coverage for that pass rush to be able to get home. We know that's one of the reasons why the Rams just went out and traded everything for Jalen Ramsey when you have a defensive tackle like Aaron Donald who is just a split second from getting that strip sack or another sack just based upon the coverage. So you know that they're relying on that, especially in this game and especially with the way that this offense has been up and down. Granted, the last two games, 2-0, Kyler Murray has played much better. They've allowed him to use his legs much more. But at the same token, you know that the strength of this football team relies on the defensive side of the ball and to try to get some takeaways, to get more opportunities to the offense. And speaking of takeaways, you're talking about a team that has no interceptions yep. yet on the season. Quarterbacks have, for the most part, really had some nice statistical outcomes against the Arizona Cardinals defense. That's why Peterson's return is so big. I was actually listening to what Peterson told the media this week, Dave. And, you know, as a player, you understand what it's like to prepare. He seemed to think his biggest challenge, he was simulating games every Sunday yep. while he's been serving the suspension. He says his biggest concern, and this is not necessarily stunning, is the tackling aspect. Yeah. Because you can work out, you can be conditioned, and I'm sure he is, as you mentioned. So I wouldn't be surprised if he plays a bulk of the snaps. But when now you're face-to-face -face with the offensive player, you're going to be able to wrap up, you're going to be able to bring him down. That, to me, is going to be an early test for Peterson this week. It definitely will. I mean, look at the struggles that not only linebackers, but secondary players had tackling people in the open field weeks one and two 
in the NFL, and that's after having games and training camp and preseason and everything along with that, and now you're starting to see that clean up. The other thing to go along with his comments, because I saw those as well, you can train all you want. You can run as many sprints as you want, but when you step out onto the football field and your energy, your enthusiasm, and all those endorphins are running, and you have that out on the field, it's way different conditioning than it is anything that you can do off of the field to try to simulate that. So as much as he's been running and doing that, you know that at one point in this game, he's going to be struggling with wind, and it's not going to be just because he wasn't training. It's going to be because of the amount of energy and passion and enthusiasm you have game day that, like I said, you can't simulate off the field. Well, the old phrase about football shape versus just actual shape. So Peterson, you can argue, is conditioned at this point but the question is, once he puts the pads on, does that change things? Now, we got a John Schmelk. We do. Here we, we have go. A, a John Schmelk drop in breaking news here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. As I mentioned off the top, Saquon Barkley was a full participant, and these are some of the highlights of what he told the media. Feels good. He thinks the ankle can hold up. No doubts with it there, and no commitment, though, if he will play. He has kept saying, quote, taking it day by day, which the Giants also tweeted out earlier today. So we thank John Schmelk thank for you, dropping Schmelk. by. Those some news elements as we make our way through here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. And, you know, they've really kept the news with respect to Saquon Barkley close to the vest, it seems, over the last few weeks. So I understand he's not going to lay it out and state the obvious. But as we talked about, Dave, off the top, if you put the dots together, yes. okay, yeah. you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure this one out. It looks pretty good that he's going to be out on the field. It outside. does. It looks promising. And when you think about it, the one thing when he does say he's taking it day by day, you know that this is a Ronnie Barnes decision who was my head trainer, who's been a head trainer for the Giants for almost 30 years now. He's not going to jeopardize and put a player in position to get re-injured just to try to get a win on the football field. That's something that whether you're a free agent or a draft pick, he treats everybody the same and makes sure he takes their care in mind and almost that warrior mentality that you have as a football player. But putting that aside, the fact that he's been out there two straight weeks last week, you know, going through the drills a lot more, but we knew that he wouldn't be up. Now when you think about it from the timetable of when he got hurt in Tampa Bay till now, it's been four weeks when it comes up this upcoming Sunday, which is right around the actual time of a low-grade, high ankle sprain of that portion. So I'm not saying that he wasn't born in a lab because Saquon Barkley <laughs> was definitely born in a lab. And it's unbelievable the amount of progress that he's made in such a short amount of time. But with these signs and with him practicing, I would lean on the side of him playing Sunday. And it's smart because they had that quick turnaround. Yep. They were playing two games in a very short period of time, and then you knew you are going to have 10 days off. So that gave him additional rest and now gets him prepared to help the team in their final four games before they go on by where he's going to be able to rest up again. It's just for those that feel with some of the personnel returning, Dave, that this is almost a layup game. And I'm not saying that everyone's guilty of this, but just listening to some of the fans on social media, having some conversations, I think a lot of people feel that the schedule may be opening up for the Giants over the next four weeks, which you could argue to a certain degree. It's it's certainly not the Patriots and Vikings defenses that no. they're going up against. But as you well know, there are no off weeks in the National Absolutely Football League. Not. And Arizona, to me, falls in that category of an overlooked dangerous type of team that still has a lot of talented players and as you noted you can argue is starting to play its best offense it is Murray and Cliff Kingsbury as well as the offensive line I would argue I think are gelling 
And that means that as they get more and more reps underneath their belt, you figure that the productivity is going to increase as well. Without a doubt. I mean, you see them using Kyler Murray's legs a lot more to open up things, not only in the passing game, but more importantly for the running game, because what you're trying to do is force the defense to play 11-on-11 football. And when you run some of those zone reads and and the uh, read option off of it, if you can hold that backside linebacker and that defensive end just for that split second after running a bootleg off of it, now all of a sudden you're getting yourself a crease in the running game for David Johnson, and that right there is an extra two or three yards, and when it comes down to third downs, now you're talking about third and manageables. That's what you're looking for. So you know he's played much better. Obviously over the last two weeks gone 2-0, and 68% completion. He's thrown for about 295 a game. Three touchdowns to no interceptions, so that he's improved on that aspect, and he's got a passer rating of 109. So you know now that they've got a game plan set in. You know they've gotten acclimated with their true roster, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. Now Cliff Kingsbury can open up more in the playbook, which we have seen the way that they've played the last two weeks to give them opportunities to win games. And you said it perfectly. I don't care who you are on any offensive side of the ball and any offensive line. When you're looking across and you see Chandler Jones and Terrell Suggs, you know that you have competition and nothing's going to be given to you. Absolutely. The other thing that I think is also impressive, the improvement to the offensive line. They didn't give up any sacks against the Atlanta Falcons. And Dave, you go back to the last few seasons, the Achilles heel of Arizona, I would argue, right? The offensive line. A part of it was injuries. A lot of the guys that are back in the lineup weren't healthy, but you know, they went out, they brought in some new free agents and that group is starting to gain some continuity, which to your point is helping David Johnson return to the form before he's been banged up. And also he's been an integral part of the receiving game Yeah, because Christian Kirk, their top wide receiver likely is not going to play this week again. He's dealing with the high ankle sprain. So that means they're trying to get these running backs. Chase Edmonds has also been very much involved in the offense and I would think they're going to maybe slowly expand his role after having somewhat of a quiet performance this past week against the Falcons so you got to be cautious of the running backs and Kyler Murray the combination of both of those forces the ability for them to always run and take off and try to pick up the additional yardage and when you talk about that offensive line obviously they have veterans with Pugh Shipley and Sweezy on the inside at the two guard positions and the center position We know that they drafted Humphreys in the first round at the left tackle spot and then Murray at the right tackle position. Murray has been the weak link at the right tackle side. He's the one that's given up the most pressures and hits on the quarterback. And that's something that you've got to make sure that when you're playing up against Kyler Murray, you've got to maintain gap discipline in your pass rush because we know that this is a player, all he needs is that crease. And if you get out of your lane and you get washed over, you're giving him a clear running lane right down the middle of the field. Well, and it's no surprise, Dave, that Murray's having the roughest time because he's really the newest arrival yeah. for the team. They had claimed him off of waivers right before the season, an undrafted player out of the University of Cincinnati, and this is his first season with Arizona. So that would probably be one reason why. But as you just touched on, the pass rush for the Giants. Let's flip the script here because that has started to pick up in recent weeks. And Marcus Golden spoke to the media a few minutes ago. I was actually in there for that section. And, you know, he's going up against some of his former mates, but the scheme has changed. So I don't know how beneficial that is for Golden, but you can't dismiss the fact that he's picked up half a sack in each of the last five games. So he seems to be getting more and more comfortable. And, you know, this was the X factor, Dave, coming into the season, right? If Golden can get back to form, if Golden can ignite the pass rush, then that means the Giants are that much more dangerous. So that has been an encouraging development on that side of the ball. Number one, in regards to that, you have to give credit 
to the coverage because a lot of the uh, the sacks that he has gotten have come on that extra effort that he plays with playing and play out, and it's based upon the quarterback not having anywhere to go with the football and that constant pursuit of the quarterback. But also, you're seeing more flashes and more variety of moves out of him that if the first one stops, he's picking up his secondary, and you see him playing with a lot of confidence and not oh, yeah. worried about his knee anymore. That was one of the things that you were worried about of coming into this season. How's he going to play? Will he hold up? Will it have any lingering effects? And he's playing phenomenal right now. Relentless is probably the way I would Without a him, doubt. Right? I mean, the guy is just not to be held back by anybody at this point because he's been such a force within the trenches. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. I see some questions are coming All in right. on Twitter. We will get to that, and we have some phone calls. We're laying out the landscape of the game for the Giants and the Cardinals. And before we get into more on that front, let's open up the phone lines. Gary is in Virginia. He gets us going on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Gary? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great. Doing how right, are you, Gary? Gary? Good, good. Big fan of David Deal, man. Great player. Now great calling games. I really enjoy it. Thank you, Gary. Uh, quick, question about, yeah, quick question about the D-line. Um, I was wondering if you guys have seen much um, double teams draw by Lawrence. I'm wondering if if there's a relation with him drawing double teams with his improvement and the sack numbers going up. I think, number one, it's experience. He's definitely getting used to playing up against veteran offensive line that scheme and will set you up on things. I know that for a sheer fact that when we'd be playing up against an opposing rookie defensive tackle, we do so many things with calls and things to try to confuse him to try to get an advantage at that point. So you knew with his experience that it was going to take a little bit of time. But also, I, I think it's just him winning those one-on-one -on -one battles that we thought he was capable of doing. It's now just putting it all together. And the other thing that goes along with it, like we were just talking about, about Marcus Golden, you know, even when you come from an unbelievable program like Clemson, like where he's from, it still takes veteran training to automatically go to a secondary move and pass rush. You know, we always used to say in college when somebody comes out and you watch film on them, a lot of times they're one-trick ponies because they can get by in college with that one trick and it beats everybody because they're so much better. With their skill. But when you get to the pro level, the minute that that first rush stops, you better have something in your arsenal ready to combat that and get that second push. Otherwise, you're playing right into the hands of what an offensive lineman wants. Makes sense. All right, thank you. You got it, Gary. Hey, Gary, thanks for the phone call. Appreciate you weighing in. And, you know, Dexter Lawrence is the type of player, Dave, as you can attest to from going up against your fair share of defensive linemen, where a lot of the things he does, and I understand people are encouraged with the sack numbers, but they don't show up in the box. No question. Court, right? The, the, the gritty numbers that don't show up. Holding off double teams so your yep. linebackers can run. Getting pressure into the backfield, forcing a running back to go to the backside. Those are things that numbers don't quantify because we've seen it throughout the years. Think about all those years that we played with Fred Robbins. Fred Robbins was one of the most effective D tackles in those years, 
But nobody ever talked about him because he didn't have stat numbers. But what he did for Antonio Pearson for the rest of the defense was known by them and by us on the team. Yeah, to open things up yeah. off the edge because of his ability to collapse the pocket. And Dexter Lawrence is right now looking to do the same thing. You just got to be careful with respect to a guy like Kyler Murray because even yeah. when the pocket collapses, Dave, he, he still finds a way yep. to run out. So being well-disciplined with your eyes is going to be very important in a game like this because Arizona with Cliff Kingsbury, you know, he comes from that college mindset yep. where they're going to spread you out and they're going to try to run some misdirection, catch off guard with the zone reads, yep. whether it be David Johnson or Kyla Murray running with it. You got to keep close tabs on who has the ball at all times. Let's head back to the phone lines. Travis is in Queens and he joins us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Travis? What's up, fellas? How you guys doing? Good. What's up, Travis? What can we help you with, my man? I uh, here's I gotta uh, let me present something to you guys. Would you guys do a trade to get Vaughn Miller for two second round picks? Or oh, that's too hmm. two second round picks for Vaughn Miller. I would certainly consider that heavily. I don't think that the Denver Broncos would settle for that no. if you want to play out this hypothetical considering how Von Miller's been so productive. You say Von Miller for two second-round picks? Yes, I will certainly be listening to that. Would you, would, you, would you take it? Would you do it? Yeah, I would pull the trigger on that as long as health-wise he checks out and there's no concerns and nothing pops up that I didn't know about. I would give up two second-round picks for Von Miller. Absolutely. Yeah, because the first if we give up a, let's say, hypothetical first, that'd be too much, you think, right? Well, I think if I'm Denver, Denver I, yeah, I want I a first. Say, yeah, you want a first because <laughs> I, you know that you have a proven commodity yeah, in absolutely. Von Miller. And you could say to the other team, well, take your gamble on one of the pass rushers coming out when we know what we have sitting right in front of you. Correct. Or take the proven commodity, Without as a doubt. you just laid out. Yeah. But, oh, because the only reason I said two seconds is because, like, like, in a situation like that, let's say, hypothetically, they want to do a move like that. And his contract is up next year. We would just have to pay him, correct? Whatever, you what, mean, whatever, yeah. whatever that is, right? That's how that goes? Yeah, you just take over the, the contract, yes. Oh, okay. And my second point is, um, uh, my second point is, like, with Dexter Lawrence, right? Like, I, I don't know the percentage-wise, but I would like to see him play more of the nose. And then I'll be seeing him on the outside a lot, which is cool. I don't mind it, but... I think when he's on the outside, it affects Tomlinson and B.J. Hill more so. Well, like, I, like I see, I, I remember. I think that's the one thing about all of them is that they've played all the the spots on the defense. You've seen them interchange and move, and a lot of times they do it for matchup purposes. You know, one player's better up against another player. Like for example, putting B.J. Okay. Hill in a certain position over Dexter Lawrence because of B.J. Hill's compact leverage and how low he is. Maybe you're going up against a guard on the other side or a center that doesn't do good with getting leverage and getting movement at the point of attack. So you'd rather have a smaller, compact guy to hold off those double teams than Dexter Lawrence who can push that guard into the backfield. So it all depends on the matchups that you're looking at. Okay, because that's a good point. Because uh, looking looking at it um, from my standpoint, it seemed as if, like, once they put, like, I, I don't, I don't remember what down it was against the Patriots. Okay. But I seen him. I seen Dexter Lawrence on the outside, and I, I think, I think they was like close, like, like on the ten, and um, they got pushed up the middle. And I was saying, like, that I wish Dexter Lawrence, because you know, sometimes you know, analytical purpose, it's, it's hard to like, you know what I mean? Like, like I, I get what you're saying. It, it sounds like you say more of a strategic. 
Yeah, uh, strategic uh, move. Yes. But but I think I I think Dexter Lawrence like like he's good. I like him all around. I like how they move him. But I, like last year, DJ Hill, you know, he came on strong for us getting picked uh, so late. And this year, you know, he's 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 quiet somewhat. But like you said, not all the time. The impact is made. Yeah, those things yeah. don't show up. Plus, oh. remember, B.J. Hill last year yeah. had three of his five and a half sacks in one game, too. Just keep that in mind. Oh, okay. That, you know, that, that yeah. was right, a big right. part okay, that, that. that people tend to forget. By the way, Travis, are you in the car? Right. It sounds like you're turning on yeah, left, I right? The I got the blinker, right? <laughs> I, I was waiting for you to make the turn here. I'm like, are you driving yeah. straight or are you, you're waiting to make a turn on the road here? You're killing me. Jeez. Yeah, I was like, yeah, let me turn. I'm like, <laughs> All right, well, listen, you, you stay focused on the road. That's much more important than us, Travis. I appreciate the phone call. I was laughing because I'm here. Weren't you hearing it in the background? I'm like, is he going to turn yet? Yeah. I couldn't tell. Is it the window wipers? Is he turning? I mean, it sounds something. to be on. That's why. Apparently. But he's holding up traffic in the process for us to give him an answer. We didn't hear horns in the background, so apparently he was okay. That's good news. Yes. Right. We love it when they can multitask, when they yeah. call up BBK and they can keep their eyes on the road. So I commend Travis. He gets extra brownie points for that. But he was talking about B.J. Hill and yeah. what we were talking about, Dexter Lawrence. And, yeah, you just can't judge a lot of these defensive linemen when you whip out the stats over the course of six games. Yeah. And you're like, well, why doesn't this guy have a lot of tackles and sacks? It's partially because he's opening things up for the rest of the defense and the rest of the personnel. There. And a lot of times schematically, like I was saying, for those matchups, Sometimes you'll go into a game, okay, defensive tackle for this one. The scheme that they're running offensively, if it's more power, hold up and let your linebackers run. If they're running more zone things, the one thing that kills zone plays is penetration into the backfield by a D-tackle that gets the guards or centers and offensive linemen off level. And one first thing that a running back sees is when he sees color front side, his immediate instinct is to jump backside to where the flow of the defense is coming from. So a lot of times you change up the way that you're trying to scheme up against an offensive line, not only in the way that you're playing, but in the way that you're moving your pieces around to create those matchups that are favorable for you on the defensive side of the ball. And then based on how they react to yeah. that, will determine then whether you or not can adjust yeah, from you're going to make game. tweaks throughout the course of the contest. Absolutely. Lance Meadow, David, deal with you here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's head back to the line. Scott is in New Mexico. Scott, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? Good afternoon, guys. How are you doing today? Great. Good right, Scott. What's on your mind? Uh, um, I have a philosophical question and a technical one. Okay. Uh, the philosophical question is this. Uh, despite protestations by everyone, the Giants are going into the meat of the season, but they're a game out of first place. And they're going into a critical game uh, with Arizona, which hopefully they'll win. Do you know the Giant players fairly well, and you're both around them. Does it create undue pressure, or do you think there's an extra incentive knowing that they're in the race, they have a chance at the playoffs, uh, whether, and it's too soon to talk, I realize that, but going into a game like Arizona, does that, do they have that in the back of the mind, or can they be singular purpose and say, this is the game in front of us, we have to win it? despite what the records are going to be. And I was just curious from a player's perspective and also from an, you know, an analyst's perspective, what do you think is going on with the Giants in regards to that? I was just well, curious. I, I, obviously, when you still are in contention to win the division, it is an exciting factor for you as a football team because coming into the season, your overall goal is to win the Super Bowl, but your next secondary goal immediately is to win the division because that's right. the only thing that's going to guarantee you a spot in the playoffs. So it does give you motivation that you're still in the hunt, you're still in the race, 
But having said that, you know each and every game that you step out there on Sunday, Mondays, or Thursdays, like last week, those games are just as important as the division games down the road because, number one, you don't want to ever bank on somebody else to do your dirty work for you. You don't want to be at the end of the season thinking, okay, we got to win, this team's got to lose, this team's got to win. You want to control your own destiny. And for this football team, I can definitely tell you they're taking it week by week. They are not looking forward to, to anything ahead of what this Arizona game is. And they've learned from the past because that's the only way that you can approach a season. Well, and related to what Dave just said, Scott, I don't think this game is of that much more importance than what the Thursday game was. Because remember, no, I agree. But keep in mind, they were, and this is why I don't understand why everybody's focusing so much on the standings this week. Remember, going into the Thursday game. It was the game, same thing. It was the same thing. They were one game back of the Cowboys and the Eagles. So if they would have beat New England, and then all of a sudden Dallas and the Philadelphia Eagles wind up losing, they would have been tied for first exactly. right now. So the, the importance, the motivation going into this game, to me, is no different than how they should have looked upon Thursday's game. Because it was the same. It was on short rest. Yeah. yeah makes no right. difference. Yeah. Yeah, um, my my last point now, I'll take it off the air, guys. Uh, it, it goes to the situation with Daniel Jones in regards to holding the ball a little too long. I was wondering from uh, an offensive scheme or even from the offensive line's uh, tactics, are the Giants looking to do something different against Arizona, which has the two great uh, edge rushers? I was wondering if uh, Pat Shermer or even the offensive linemen amongst themselves are talking about a different way to sort of compensate a little bit so that if he does hold the ball longer to try to find a receiver, uh, you know, they can provide the time that's necessary to do that. And I'll take your answers off the air, guys. All right, Scott, thanks for the call. Thank you. Number one, you know that as an offensive lineman, the thing that helps you in your pass protection is running the football effectively. When you look back at the New England game, well, it was 16 for 52 yards rushing and 3.3 a carry. That's not putting you in a position to succeed. When you can run play action off of your run game and you're in third and manageables, you get to dictate the tempo of the football game compared to when you're down, you don't have an effective run game, you're playing behind the chains, and you're kicking and you're setting back each and every play. That is when a defensive end and a D-tackle, all they're doing is pinning their ears back and playing the run on the way to the quarterback because they've made you one-dimensional. That's the one thing that's exciting about hopefully having Saquon back this this game is if they can get a run game going and if they can try to hit the perimeters to spread out this defense, it's only going to help Daniel Jones get rid of the ball quicker, more efficiently, and open up things in the passing game. Well, and related to what you're just pointing out with respect to playing with the lead, and then all of a sudden you have more balance. It's no coincidence, Dave, that the Cardinals, during their two-game winning streak, they were involved now in back-to-back games where they were playing with the lead. Remember, they jumped out in front of Atlanta, and they had a lead on Cincinnati, too, before the Bengals came back and made things interesting. So that's no surprise that Kyler Murray has been running a little bit more. David Johnson's been involved on many different fronts because, to your point, it completely changes what you can do on offense when you're not playing catch-up, which unfortunately the Giants have had to do in each of the last two games. And when you're playing catch-up, what's the thing you're not worried about? Time of possession. You're worried about scoring points and putting points on the board, and you're not so concerned about time of possession to where when you have the lead in the game, 
you want to bleed that clock dry and you want to own that defense. So in the third and fourth quarter, those runs that may only two, three, four yards in the first and second quarter now are breaking for 10, 11, 12, and you start imposing your will on the opposing defense. Yeah, when you're up, the clock's not your enemy. No. When you're down, not only are you playing the opponent, you're playing the clock too. And you're playing and you're worried about all your timeout situation, how far you got to push the football downfield. Do we need to get it to the boundary, to the sidelines? There's so much that goes into it when you are playing from behind. Yeah, game management completely changes. It's out the window, basically. Let's head back to the phone lines. Jason is in Maine. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Jason? Hey, guys. Not much. How about you guys? Doing very well. well. What's on your mind? Good. Uh, The caller before you, or before me, pretty much took my question. Scott uh, stole your thunder. (laughs) And I have one for you, Lance. Um, Sure. David, I'm just wondering... um, when, when you're in a game and you're on the road and uh, the other team has a lot of momentum, we know how loud the crowd can get. Uh, what did you and the other linemen and Eli, how did you guys communicate if the crowd is just roaring and you may not even be able to hear Eli, you know, in shotgun or whatever? Was there a special way you guys communicated? Yeah, we would, uh, number one, when we'd be going to a loud place, a lot of times we'd hold one practice indoors to where they'd have enough speakers for a freaking KISS concert out there to where you have a headache coming off of the practice field because then what does it teach you? It teaches you when the crowd noise gets up, you've got to non-verbally communicate with each other. We'd give hand signals, we'd lean in, and we'd do things, and that's one of the reasons why when we became a veteran offensive line and grew together, why we were able to win so many games on the road in 07-plus is because we had that continuity and we could communicate without you know having to punch each other, all this stuff that goes on before the play to get the calls out. So I think that's something that you definitely practice. But the more continuity you have, like I did with Rich Soiber, we could just have a look, and we didn't even have to say anything because we watched film together, we practiced all week together, and we knew what each one of each other were thinking and going to do. And that comes with, to your point, experience experience with one another and being on the field, getting all those reps together, as opposed to a younger offensive line with a veteran. Maybe they haven't built that same continuity. Because people have asked, you know, when you go to like a Seattle or a Kansas City where we've played, literally Lance – it could be third down during we're not even at the line of scrimmage yet. You and I could be screaming at each other, and I couldn't hear a word yeah. you were saying. Doesn't surprise me. No. So that's yeah. why you used to have to tight in, get in real tight right. with the huddle so you could hear Eli, and then you would have to change up your silent snap count. Sometimes you do a silent one, silent one hold, silent two. You would try different things to change the cadence so they wouldn't get that split-second beat off of the snap. It's creating a new language, yeah. basically. Yeah. That's what it is. That's how you have to wow. communicate. That sounds complicated. It is, and it takes a lot <laughs> of practice. Of it. Yeah. Uh, Lance, I just, uh, I'll just get out on this. I, I missed the first part of the show, and uh, I was just wondering if you could update us on uh, Gallman and Barkley and Shepard Ogletree, uh, sure. the injury report, and Perfect. I'll take it off the air. Will do, Jason, and thanks, thanks for, for the tuning call, in. Jason. Appreciate the phone call. Yeah, off the top, we went through the injury report, but let's run you through it. The good news is Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram went through another full practice, so that's extremely encouraging for the Giants. The remainder of the injury report, Wayne Goleman, Olsen Pierre, also full practices. Both of those guys, remember, also in concussion protocol. Limited with Sterling Shepard and not practicing Corey Ballantyne. He is in concussion protocol. So Barkley and Evan Ingram certainly heading in the right direction. Goleman, I would say, as well, given the fact that he got in a full practice yeah. and uh, Olsen Pierre it's it's good to see the fact that more guys are full 
as yeah. opposed to limited, which we had seen going back to last week on that short turnaround. Perfect. Yep. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. Before we head back to the phone lines, I want to yeah, mix in some Twitter, tweets, yeah. Dave. Yes, and there are a number of tweets directed specifically to you because of your experience on the offensive line. So this comes from Mike at Meet1968. For David, can you speak to the sophomore season for Will Hernandez, whether or not he's making improvements? He seems to be getting the most calls for holding and hold, so don't see this the holes, excuse me, don't seem the same as they are on the left side as they are on the right. I think he's definitely improved. Uh, I think he's gotten more efficient with his technique, especially in the passing game. And a lot of times, if you go back and you look at some of those holding calls, that's when the referees in the NFL were putting an emphasis on offensive holding because two of the ones that he was called for were complete nonsense. I can say that, and I'm not saying it because I'm a former offensive lineman and I don't believe that holding really takes place. <laughs> I'm just saying it because I know why I went back and I watched film on him. I think he's making progress. I think he's getting better. But we know that he plays his best football when they're road grading people and they're running the football effectively, which we've seen when you're up and down in that department, it doesn't bode well for anybody on any offensive line when you're playing from behind and you're playing catch-up and almost are like in a two-minute drill in the second half on. I brought up the penalty breakdown so far this season. Hernandez has two accepted penalties against him. Remmers is in the team lead. He has four, and Golden and Jenkins have three apiece, and that's Marcus Golden, who I'm referring to. And like I said, two of those Will Hernandez ones should be taken out. I mean, obviously, they are a penalty, but I'm saying going back and watching film, they were were a joke. Well, and those are the types of plays, as you can mention, where you go back in the film room, you listen to your coaches, give you feedback, and I'm sure the coaches feel the same way Yeah, in in terms of not necessarily getting hard on him because of that. And then usually your team will send in the letter to the NFL officials, (laughs) and then you'll get it back. What's going on here? Yeah, Uh, It it wasn't a holding call, and it shouldn't have been called, and that's all that happened. And then you You feel so much better about yourself, right, You feel so much better. I've been vindicted but not really (laughs) not really because it won't reflect in the box score and it won't be taken off my record no during the course of the season so it's almost like it's a catch-22 not only that when you break that down the fans at home are screaming at you and throwing things at the television that's right those damn offensive linemen holding again ruining everything it's not as if the league memo then gets circulated to the fan base (laughs) to vindicate you right so will hernandez still has those two holding penalties against him even though maybe the league told him hey exactly It's not necessarily against you. All right, this is coming from Jack at Jack Klemke. How do you think Janoris Jenkins will fare paired up against Larry Fitzgerald? He has struggled against tall wideouts in the past, most notably against Mike Evans and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this season. I think you just have to be sound with your fundamentals and your technique. This isn't a player that is a veteran route runner and a Hall of Fame caliber player for no reason. His precision, his ability to sell certain routes on certain route combinations with the what they have, you know, schematically, whether it's a three-by-one, a two-by-two, his ability to move inside and be versatile and play all the different spots, and the fact that he pretty much catches everything that's thrown in his direction, yeah. it's incredible. So these are the ones that you have to trust your eyes, trust your fundamentals and techniques, And a lot of times it's pinpointing one spot on a wide receiver that's going to guide you to where he's running his route and not veering off of that. A lot of times, you know, a lot of players get caught at looking at the opposing wide receiver in the eyes, but the good ones, the veteran ones, don't sell it. They're looking straight downfield and their eyes don't give away where they're going. 
Yeah, much like Terrell Suggs, Larry Fitzgerald still Ageless finding a way wonder, to get man. it done. Yeah, like a fine wine. He just continues to get better with age. 52 targets leads the team. 35 receptions leads the team. 427 yards leads the team. He's second in receiving touchdowns. He's still making consistent plays. As you mentioned, Dave, they move him around. Yep. So that makes him that much more elusive and that much more versatile. And, you know, even without Christian Kirk, you know, he still has to be factored into the yeah. game plan because that doesn't mean that they're going to now look to spread the wealth. They're still going to lean on Larry Fitzgerald. He's that great security blanket yeah. for a young quarterback. He may not have the speed that Christian Kirk has, but he knows how to get open. He knows how to find holes in defenses. And like I was saying, he is a professional precision route runner that that young quarterback and Kyler Murray can rely on to be at the exact spot he's supposed to be every single time and when you have that that's why you can rely on him and that's why he's had the type of career that he's had Fitzgerald David Johnson and Chase Edmonds to me if you were to ask who the key players that the Giants defense needs to focus on those are the three that come to mind they have a number of other young wide receivers yeah. who they're grooming Keyshawn Johnson Trent Sherfield and these guys have made plays their numbers don't necessarily jump off the page but the two running backs Kyler Murray as well as Larry Fitzgerald those are the main weapons when you focus on the Arizona Cardinals we'll get back to your tweets as we move along but right now let's head back to the phone lines Joe is in Pennsylvania here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Joe? Hey, uh, I was just I was just wondering here between uh, us and the Cardinals. I guess whoever wins this game here would still really think of uh, playoff hopes. And uh, I was just uh, thinking too, if say we would whoever loses it, well, especially us, you know, if we would then they would possibly think to uh, unload some of our players like last year, like snacks and that, or buy somebody to help us. What do you think of that? I mean, that's something that you're always looking to do. I mean, you're always looking to bolster your roster and make it the best 53-man you can. But having said that, whether this game is a win or a loss, I don't think that you're going to go and completely dump your roster and try to turn over again like they have over the last two years from where they were when Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer took over till now. I always tell this story. 2003 was my rookie year. It was the last year of Jim Fossil. So figure 53-man roster. Tom Coughlin comes in in 2004 and takes over. By 2005, there were 13 of us left from the 03 roster on the 05 roster. A lot of turnover. That was it. The turnover happens, and I think when you've already started to see the changes in the locker room and the team camaraderie that this team has, I don't think you're looking to replace as many pieces as people think. And the good thing is, is that not only this season, but what you can look forward to is next season, knowing that you have draft picks and you're almost going to have $100 million in salary cap. Well, I think you bring up a great point, Dave, about the turnover that's yeah. already been accomplished on this roster. Nowhere near the position that the Giants were at this time no, last year. No, nowhere near. Think about that. Since then, they've had another draft class. Yep. They've had another free agency period. Here's the other thing that you need to take into consideration. Part of the reason why they made some of those trades last year was because they had young guys who weren't getting nearly as much playing time, Dave, right, behind snacks. They wanted Dalvin Tomlinson, B.J. Hill, Hill yep. to get an opportunity. And moving on from Eli Apple, some of the other corners. Now, you could argue, well, there's a lot of young corners mm -hmm. that maybe they want to give opportunities to, but I also think having a veteran like Jenkins to complement that youth it's is huge. still extremely important. I mean, that's one of the reasons why they brought in Antoine Bethea is for that reason yes he isn't the same player that he was five six years ago but his understanding and leadership 
of this defense and this style of defense, you could see it rub off on the rest of the secondary and their improvements that they're making, not only individually, but in the scheme that they're overall playing. And, you know, going back to that, remember the outrage of Snacks, Harrison, how can we trade him? Well, you guys all know that he sat out this entire offseason because he wanted a new deal with $16 million still on it. That's something that we would have dealt with if we would have hung on and kept him this year when you can continue to build your roster like they have through the draft and through free agency. Yeah, the economics always are a part factor, of the way always. to determine whether or not you want to move on from a player. Also, Janoris Jenkins is not on an expiring contract. I feel as if the way people focus on that is if you'd be benefiting by giving him up to a team that then would shed his contract. Jenkins still is under contract for yeah. 2020. He's not a free agent until 2021. So you still have him under control for 2020, and then you'd have to deal with whether or not you'd want to bring him back. So it's not like an expiring contract yeah. which maybe makes a player a little bit more attractive to part ways with exactly so, what, what about Ogletree yeah. lands is he here next year on their contract Ogletree's contract let's see he was signed to a five-year deal in 2017 so yes. yeah he's going to definitely be under contract for next year uh, okay I see David we're playing one of our old offensive linemen we're going to be playing against Pew there yeah. you know so uh, the only other thing I wanted to say, I, I got to bring up there, you're just talking about Holden. When they denied, uh, uh, what's his name there, that holding call at the end there where he was being mugged. I Golden wanted Tate. our defensive uh, Tate when he yeah. was being holding. We challenged that. I wanted our defensive coach there to hit their receivers and just hold them there. I didn't care if the receivers, <laughs> they called them or not. I was just so disgusted. Uh, it's almost like hockey, Thank down by you. four, start a war. Let's just start attacking people. <laughs> oh, it also reminds me of the phrase, two hey, wrongs don't make a right type of thing. Go through here too. I mean, come on. When when they can review these plays, that's that's what gets me the most. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's yeah, just, we hear you. It's, it's, it's frustrating. Much. All right, Joe, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. And I get the frustration, but, you know, this to me is further evidence, Dave, and I don't want to go off on a whole tangent. You and I certainly no, please talk do. about I'd this love- on Sirius XM NFL <laughs> Radio all the time. But it's the overreaction to what happened in the NFC Championship yep. game that opened up Pandora's box, and you had the competition committee make the recommendation. And keep this in mind, because this is important. This was only implemented because the coaches made the push to the owners. Okay, but the owners implemented this on a one-year trial basis. So they, at the end of this year, can turn around and say, it's over. Yeah, We're not bringing it back for the following year. This was not a permanent rule that was put into place. And I think based on the results that we're seeing, this is just my personal opinion. I'm not saying I have any intel on that front. I'd be very surprised, Dave, if this is brought back next season. I'd be beyond shocked if it was brought back yeah. last next season. And the thing you realize, and the thing that's tough for everybody watching these games, is that whenever a big play happens, your automatic enthusiasm isn't there because the first thing you look, is there a flag? Is there a flag on the field? <laughs> okay, all right, first down. It's changed the way that we've all watched games because of the amount of rules, because of the inaccuracy of it. And the fact that we don't even know what a real rule is anymore. Is that a P.I.? Is it not a P.I.? How can you not call that? It just brings in that aspect of it that you don't want when you're watching a game. Well, and what also complicates matters, I think this is what maybe confuses fans a little, 
they don't throw a flag, so a coach wants to review the play. Yeah. And then you go back, you see the replay, and it was maybe a legal contact as opposed to pass, pass interference. interference but Dave, yeah. A legal contact can't be overturned no. based on replay no. or implemented based on replay. So you're seeing it. The evidence is overwhelming, but the rule book the doesn't rule, allow no, you to make the change. Apply to it. So that is also uh, another wrinkle in the mix that I'm sure has infuriated fans because you're like, well, wait a minute. The technology allows me to look at it, but they can't call it because the rule book doesn't give them the opportunity to do that. So once again. You feel uh, better now? You feel yes, good? Yes, I, I feel a little bit better that I got off my chest. Maybe provide a little bit more clarification. But you have to understand moving forward, things are not going to dramatically change. No. So if you're a team, the best thing that can happen to you is – the call is made on the field yeah. because when the call is not made, good luck trying to get it overturned. It ain't happening. All of a sudden, throw the flag after looking at the replay. Happening. They're just not going to do it. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. Lance Meadow, David, deal with you here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Ian is in Massachusetts. What do you got for us, Ian? Yes, how you doing, guys? Doing Great. very well. What's up, Ian? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. we hear you loud and clear. Yes, how you doing? Um, doing I well. want to talk about the defense. Um, sure. The Giants defense, the defense yeah. overall, um, the defensive back and stuff like that. I don't understand. These guys, when they go to make a tackle, they go for these big hits, and they don't wrap up. You know, sometimes the running backs are coming, they're going full speed. The guys go to, go to make these big hits, and it bounce right off, right off the, um, you know, the running back. I mean, like in Middle League, they tell you, when you hit, you wrap up. Make, make sure you make the tackle. These guys are making millions, and they still don't know how to make a full tackle. It's frustrating sometimes, especially they played against when they played against the um, Minnesota. Their tackling was no good. Sixteen missed tackles yeah, in that 16 game. Sixteen missed tackles, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's too many missed tackles. When when they played against the Patriots, it was, it was much better. I guess they had a pep talk in the locker room, whatever. They played against the Patriots. It was, you know, they were tackling much better, you know. And I have to say, um, Daniel Jones. I was, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Daniel Jones because, you know, I know, nobody heard of Daniel Jones when he got drafted. I didn't. Nobody did. And I see potential in him. I definitely see potential. Only thing, only thing, Daniel Jones needs to work on is to get that clock picking in his head when to throw the ball. And sometimes he throws too much in tight coverage, and he has to work on that stuff. And other than that, I mean, I have hope for the Giants team, you know, moving forward from here, here on, you know, I always do. And I'm a full Giants fan in Massachusetts. You know how it is, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, we got understand. bragging rights. It's all right. <laughs> Appreciate the phone call, Ian. Thanks so much for weighing right, in. Well, that's one in of the Patriots thing, country. Yeah, well, that's one of the good things that with this 10-day till the following game, that Daniel Jones has time to self-evaluate. He had time to go back to the Tampa Bay game, the Washington game, the Minnesota game, and this past New England game and start working on those things that he needs to improve on. Obviously, number one, the turnovers is the first thing. But two, that ticking clock in his head, knowing that he has to get rid of the football more effectively and efficiently. But that also goes hand-in-hand with where are you at in that game, what's the score of that game, and how well you're running the football. Because if you're not running the football well and you're behind in the game, that clock's going a little bit longer because you feel like you have to make Make that throw. You have to make that play. 
Yeah, that's a good point because you want to ignite the offense. Yeah. You want to make something happen. You know that so it's forth. on you guys to do something, and that's something that you sometimes, unfortunately, especially for younger players, they play outside of themselves trying to overcompensate for Well, that. and I think what you're spelling out is perfectly demonstrated. Let's go to the second interception in the Perf- Patriots perfect game. Perfect right? example. It's what, a 14 nothing game? 14 nothing game. He's trying to throw it away, but because he held on to it, right, it's the pass gets rush tipped, got the to pass him rush and gets, gets tipped, yeah. the ball stays in play. Exactly. So there perfect is example. exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. And you can't feel as if you're going to make up for a deficit in one play to begin with. No. Because the hero ball mentality, more often than not, comes back to bite you. With respect to a mobile quarterback, as we're talking about Daniel Jones, I think this is a great question that comes from Dylan here, Dave, at underscore the Dylan Davis underscore. The Dylan. I like it. (laughs) Not Dylan. the The Dylan. The Dylan. Do you think the Giants will pull a safety? to spy Kyler Murray, and if so, who do you think matches up the best with him for sideline-to-sideline speed? Now, before you answer this, this is what I thought the Vikings did a really good job against Daniel Jones. Anthony Barr and some of those other guys. They were just shadowing him. They were in perfect position when he rolled off the edge. And that's something that they're going to have to do watching this game. That's unfortunately... You know, I was hoping that Corey Ballantyne could have been that guy to play down in the box, but he's in concussion protocol and looks like he won't be up for this game. So therefore, you've got to find somebody else in your mix that is a hybrid that can play that extra linebacker position like we've seen other guys play. But the problem with that is, is when you have a little in there, what are you going to do offensively? Now you're going to start running the football right at that player, knowing that he is in a linebacker and can't hold up. So that's a great question, and uh, it'll be interesting to see. But if I was to pick one player to shadow him. What about Michael Thomas? I'd, get, I'd say Michael Thomas, a veteran, smart, safety, can make those sound tackles, knows leverage when to play inside and out. He'd be a good guy to do yeah, that. Yeah, remember he made that big play in the Tampa yep. Bay game, the third down stop. That's the name that, that comes to right mind. There, that, that was play. a huge yeah. game, a huge turning point. He doesn't make that stop. Tampa Bay's able to milk the clock and perhaps uh, run things out. So that so, would yeah, be somebody. Be good, Michael Thomas would be a I good think one. to point to. Now also, Jabril Peppers has the versatility, Dave, but the question is, do you but want to you take want him, him on the, away? I was just going to say, right? you need him in coverage on yeah. the back end, so you can't, you can't take him away from that. Yeah to have him yep. roam after the quarterback. So Michael Thomas is a guy, if you go to three safeties, I think you can afford, you could afford to, to have move him, him around. Box as an extra linebacker, yep. Let's head back to the lines. Jose is in Orlando. Jose, what do you got for us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live? Hey, Lance and David. How are you guys? We're doing very well. All right, great, man. I was just thinking exactly when, when that question was brought up, first person I thought about was Michael Thomas. So I'm glad we're in agreement there. And for that same reason that you want Jabril to be in coverage, and Michael Thomas, because of his experience, and he's a sound tackler, you know, from being yep. in special teams and all that, that would be perfect. Um, I just have a, a, a hypothetical question, guys, if you will, and, and, and I'm just asking you to not, just, like, be your uh, quasi-GM, and this is for next year because I'm really excited the direction that we're going in as far as building a team, the youth, David, you alluded to it, having the camaraderie that we have in the locker room now is awesome. It's a team-based, guys. There's there's not a lot of individuality, if there's any, in that team. But they're all about each other, which is awesome. It's great to see. I'm a traditionalist as far as a football fan, going back to the Tom Coughlin era. And one uh, one, uh, something that I always remember, David, when we were playing back in 07, when you guys just beat Tampa and you're going to Dallas. Off to Dallas. I never forget you saying, 
off to Dallas, <laughs> off to Dallas. And we went out. That was, that's a great memory, David. I'll, I'll always remember that, and I cherish it. Thank you so much for everything you did for us, for, for Giants fans. I mean, we're indebted to you. Appreciate awesome. it, Jose. Um, Thank you. My question that I have for both of you guys, and, and again, this is a hypothetical question because, you know, we know that I, I love Dave Gettleman. I love where he's at. I actually was one of the very few guys that said, hey, I like our, the quarterback pick. And everybody was like, what are you crazy? I was like, this guy is awesome because he's doing okay playing against teams like Clemson, and he's throwing the ball to doctors, lawyers, and accountants with a bad <laughs> offensive line. Wait, hold on. Actually, it's janitors and plumbers. Let's be more specific here, okay? But go you know ahead. Yes. Yeah, no, yes. we know exactly what you're and, saying. And so I saw that, and I was like, man, this guy's going to be special. So I'm – so my question is, and I'll take it off the air because I know you guys got other callers. My question is, I know where our defensive line is right now. We have a lot of young guys in there on our defensive line, and our offensive line is doing better. For next year, I know we have close to $100 million in cap space. What direction do you think we'll go in as far as selecting an offensive lineman either through free agency and going in the draft for a defensive lineman? Because I know Dave Gettleman likes his hog mollies. We're doing it the other way around, trying to get a defensive line through free agency and going offensive line to keep the offensive line young and having those guys grow up together and come up together. That's my question, guys. Love the show. Thanks, and hope you guys have a great week. You as well, Thank Jose. You, Jose. Thanks for the call. No, it's a great question. Obviously, the things that you're looking for, if you're looking at next year and the type of opportunities that you want, obviously another number one receiver. You want a pass-rushing defensive end, a linebacker, Possibly another corner slash slot guy that can play inside for the nickel position. Add to the nucleus. To add to the nucleus of it. But you're always looking to upgrade your offensive line with depth or a guard or a tackle. And it all depends on the route in which they want to go through it. You know, you think about it, and when you look at it, number one, it's no coincidence. When we won in 07 and 11, we had, as the coaches like to say, a plethora of defensive linemen that could get after the quarterback and the veteran experience of us growing together was something that was invaluable. But at the same time, when you have some of the pieces in place, it doesn't hurt to get a veteran in at the offensive line position knowing that you have pieces that you can move around it. Well, with respect to the offensive line, let's look at the breakdown right now, Dave. Nate Solder's under contract, yep. okay? Will, Will Hernandez. Hernandez is still a young guy. Between Jalapio and Pulley, you know, it's not as if those guys are up there in age. So no. you have two centers that you work with, and you just acquired Zeitler. So if there's maybe any position that you'd want right to go tackle. younger, it's Mike Remmers because you brought him in on a one-year contract. And you're still not sure how long his back will hold up having a back injury. Exactly. So yeah. I would think if you want to go into the draft, you want to address that position in free agency to find the young guy, it would be the right tackle position. Who would have to earn that spot, but at the same time, what does it do? It allows you flexibility to have a swing tackle game day in case something does happen. Meaning you don't have to necessarily start exactly. him right away. You could develop him into that position. And here's the other thing that I think you need to look at. When Dave Gettleman went to Carolina, Dave, he inherited one of the worst salary yes, cap situations, right? Yeah. That you can imagine in NFL history. He cleaned that up and clearly made the Panthers competitive, but I'd have to look back at the numbers a little closely. I don't want to be wrong on this or, or steer a narrative in the wrong direction. I don't remember him, them, going on a spending spree no. once he cleaned things up. No. So I find it very hard to believe that his philosophy is going to be, okay, I did the same thing here in New York. I shedded some very expensive players. We went younger with the draft. Now we have all this money. Let's all of a sudden go out 
and lock it up once again. No. I don't think I don't that think that's, that's his game happen. plan I don't either. in the big picture. I don't either. And when you look at some of those draft picks that he did pick, like Trey Turner, the right guard, or uh, on the defensive side of the ball, short. Those were great picks that have turned into unbelievable players. Obviously, it's unfortunate for short that he's out for the year, but those were all Dave Gettleman picks that, just like what he's been doing with the New York Giants, built that Carolina team from the inside out. Yeah, he built the team through the draft, which yeah. is exactly what he's been doing and with the And he drafted right Christian now. McCaffrey. Absolutely. Before he left, he was responsible for bringing Christian McCaffrey into the mix, and he also drafted offensive linemen. Yep. And he didn't necessarily go high in the first round to get those offensive linemen, too. So, you know, when you look at, as I'm bringing up the Panthers' draft history here, in terms of who he brought in, you know, 2013, you brought up Kwan Short yep. addressing the defensive line. Trey Turner in 2014, there's a great offensive third lineman, round. third round. Yep. And then you go to the following year, 2015, Darrell Williams, another offensive lineman in the fourth round. David Mayo, David he took Mayo, in the fifth round, who's right here yeah. now. So it's a small world. Everybody knows each other. So that, to me, is probably the direction that I could see him going in with the Giants, bringing another draft class and have them layered, Dave, yeah. so that everybody's contract doesn't expire at the same time where you have to now use up all that cap space to re-sign all of your picks. It's a great point. All of that, to me, leads to very successful teams that can maintain continuity and also could put out a winning product. So that's something to monitor for the Giants as they get set for another busy offseason. Let's monitor Twitter one last time Perfect. before we wrap up to see if anybody else sent out a question or a tweet related to what we're talking about here, as I certainly appreciate everybody for joining in on the conversation on hashtag Giants Chat. Great way to get involved in the program if you can't get to the phones. It looks like we addressed most of the major questions and some really good ones posed our way. Before we wrap up once again, Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, full participants in practice, so it is heading in the right direction for them to go up against the Arizona Cardinals, and it'll be an opportunity, Dave, for yeah. Daniel Jones to start to have some familiar personnel around him. Because no kidding. I think we forget he took over in the Tampa Bay game. Saquon gets hurt in that game. And ever since, it's been musical chairs with people in and out of the lineup. So that's also something that's a positive for the sake of the Giants offense to give your young quarterback the necessary playmakers that you envisioned once you handed him the starting job. And allows you to open up the playbook of all the different things that you can put on his plate knowing that he has the support cast around him that can get the job done. Absolutely. Well, that is going to wrap up the latest edition. It's a quick hour, of Big man. Kickoff. Flew it by, flows. man. It did. It flew by. Uh, thanks to you, the listeners. Thanks to you, the tweeters. And a reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience. Courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Well, Dave, as always, had a blast. Hopefully we'll be able to reunite on this program sooner rather than later in the future. I know. I hope so. We'll see. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest news and notes. Big Blue Kickoff Live up and running again tomorrow at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll speak to you manana here on Giants.com. Have a good one.